welcome everybody to the Legends and Champions podcast show number two. Uh, my name is Lee Tyres along with my co-host Andy Evans. Hello everybody, welcome to the second edition of the retro-based wrestling show. It's classic old school. Classic old school. That's, that, that's, that's, that's the way it. to put it, isn't it? Exactly. Uh, welcome to the, the LAC podcast. Uh, thank you for all your feedback from last week's show featuring uh, former WWF, WWE and WCW diva Terry Runnels. Uh, more information on Terry, theterryrunnels.com or maketheworldrightwrite.com. And uh, yeah, some really good feedback on, on Terry. Definitely. A lot of people interested in the competition. Don't forget, your chance to win Terry's own home in, uh, in Florida, maketheworldrite.com. Absolutely. Okay, so this week, what have we got coming up? It's uh, we've we, we spoke last week about the tag team uh, tournament that we were going to be uh, putting together. We have put it together. We've looked at some of the requests from you guys and put in some specific tag teams, and the brackets have been finalised. And over the next week, we're going to be uh, simming all of the first round matches and giving you some uh, insight in all those matches. We're going to be revealing the brackets to you a little bit later on. We've also got uh, some news and a little bit of a, a short career bio on one of the WWF's greatest superstars. Is it Hulk Hogan? No. Bret Hart? No. Is it the man who shakes the rings? What, Batista? No. The other one? Yeah. Ultimate Warrior? That's the one. It is, yeah. <laughs> uh, Ultimate Warrior, um, by the time you hear this, will have already made his return to the ring for the uh, new wrestling evolution company in Italy. So uh, check that out, ultimatewarriortv.com or just simply click the banner at the top of our website and uh, to go there and, and check out exactly what happened there. But we're going to be doing a short bio on the Warrior. I thought it appropriate. Seeing as one of the classic superstars from the 80s and 90s and uh, obviously still in the limelight today. Yeah, and actually it doesn't look like he's dropped too much weight since, uh, since his last in-ring appearance in WCW. Yeah, I mean, there's... There's been some um, some videos online. There's one of them with the warrior actually like training and working out. In the end of it, he takes his shirt off, and his body he's not as big, but he's probably more defined. That's good. And he's you know he's still got you know warrior was well known for the, the giant veins yeah. sticking out. He's still got them all over. That the was the one thing about warrior though. You knew it was a steroid abuse. <laughs> yeah. Be intrigued to see like you know how different he looks seven years on compared to what he looked like well it's more than that it's 10 years since his last in ring uh yeah i guess it is yeah because 98 in in wcw with the hogan match was was his last halloween havoc 98 yeah um so we're going to be talking a little bit uh, in just a few moments actually about the the warrior we should also give these guys the free gift that we were promising them oh you've got to the free gift is is fantastic we don't often give you much here on on the lac bar classic wrestling discussion and great banter between my co-host and myself (laughs) But you're getting a free gift. You are getting a free gift. Now, um, if you're a, a real big fan of wrestling and uh, wrestling games on your PC, you'll have heard of the Extreme Warfare Revenge series of games. Now, what we've got for you guys this week is uh, a version of Extreme Warfare Revenge. Um, we've modified it a little bit, put a couple of different loading screens on there for you, and already preloaded it with a scenario from 1986. It's a real-life scenario from 1986. Uh, the WWF obviously had just done WrestleMania uh, 1 and moving on to WrestleMania 2. Uh, so you've got you know great people there. You've got Hulk Hogan with the championship. You've got Randy Savage coming in. You've got people like the Hart Foundation. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that's just WWF. You've obviously got the NWA in its prime and Ric Flair. 
riding high as the champion. Dusty Rhodes, I think NWA is just after the first Starcade as well, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. And, uh, you know, it, it it's just fantastic. It really is, is good fun to, to look back and uh, and have a look at this. Now, obviously, we're not taking credit for the game. The game was originally created by Adam Ryland and uh, I've made some modifications to a mod that I found online for 1986. So I didn't actually create that, but just made a few modifications here and there to the game. But you should love it. You know, it'd be interesting to hear from some of you guys if you do get to play it. You know what, you know what your results were and what's been happening. So the question to ask is, how are they going to get hold of it? Okay. Um, rather than like run through all sorts of like web addresses and file names and all that sort of thing here, go to our forums. And uh, I mean, you might have already gone to the forums already to download this if you haven't got it on iTunes. Go to our forums, lacpodcast.com forward slash forums. Look for the uh, the thread entitled um, uh, Legends and Champions Podcast Episode 2 or Show 2. And I'll post a link in there and you can download it as a zip file, unzip it, and there you go. Let's just let's just remind. That's not Legends of Blah Blah Blah. No, not Legends of Blah Blah. I'm having a drink now. It's Legends of Champions episode two. And while you're on the website, don't forget to check out the debut issue of Ringside. Absolutely. Yeah. Plug away. I mean, I've had a. You do a lot of the the pr- production for um, the LA Ringside, and it's fantastic. Thank you. It is uh, really good. I only saw it just before we, we started recording the show, and it is really good. Ringside is a bi-weekly PDF download. And it's going to be featuring today's product. So you've got WWE Media News. We're talking about uh, WrestleMania hitting Blu-ray. You've got DVD reviews for WWE, TNA. We're looking at Global Impact. Kayfabe commentaries. uh, Our good friends over at Kayfabe, Sean uh, Sean Oliver. Um, Guest booker with Raven's going to be in. We've got some stuff working on with the Sandman for the next issue. Uh, We've got Raw recaps, ECW recaps, One Night Stand recaps. And something that links back to this show, which is something that I, I think you quite like, Lee, the WCW Retro pay-per-view section. Oh, absolutely. And the Superstar Retro. We're going to be looking back at WCW classic events and a Superstar series. So it's going to be... You have to download the issues to get the full bio. Um, this week, WCW Super Brawl 1 and the first part of Brett the Hitman Heart. So download it now. Fantastic. Now, we've... You know, ever since we decided to do this podcast, I mean, you specifically have been getting hold of loads of footage of uh, old-school wrestling, WWF, uh, WCW been digging out all the old tapes and mm-hmm. uh, and all that sort of stuff and one we had a look at just before we went on air was the Great American Bash 1991 oh it's classic and Lex Luger and Barry Windham uh, wrestling in the main event for the vacant World Heavyweight Championship just after Ric Flair left to go to WWF so you know it's really good we've it, there's just so much we want to talk about this podcast could go on for, for years it really could it's something that I, I really I mean talking just like from, from myself now and I'm sure you're going to agree with this why didn't we do this years ago exactly I mean how many times did the squared circle just have totally veer off topic when we were talking about something old school instead of you know the current stuff because we were more interested in it yeah exactly and that's the point that's the whole point with this and you guys all seem to be enjoying the, the, the classic look I've even had someone who wasn't around for most of these uh, a long time squared circle listener um who wasn't around for most of these pay-per-views who's actually looking forward to looking to looking about the past and that says something yeah the only thing that I will say the 1991 angle between Elizabeth Randy Savage and the wedding yeah that was first not so Vow and Jay Lethal okay yeah exactly yeah that was the original <laughs> <laughs> and we have proper angles back in the in the old school era like Earthquake crushing Hulk Hogan's ribs on the Brother Love show not scaffolding falling on people and Rick Martel 
putting Aramis into Jake Roberts' arms. Arrogance. Arrogance, not, not Aramis. Not Aramis. That was, that's real stuff, Aramis. Yeah, it's quite good, actually. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it's just stuff like that. There's so... It's cheesy, but the fact that it's cheesy, it makes it good. That's what wrestling is all about. It's about it's, entertainment. It's cartoonish. And that's why, you know, I've, without any doubts, you know, the hardcore ROH or whatever, TNA wrestling fans, oh yeah, you know, to be a good wrestler, you have to be a fantastic technician. No, you don't. No, wrestling no. is about entertainment. And that's why, without a shadow of a doubt, I can say during this podcast, Ultimate Warrior was one of the best wrestlers the WWF had ever seen in the 80s and 90s undoubtedly you know he couldn't he did about three or four moves but who cares he got the people caring about it he got the people buying tickets and that's what makes you a good wrestler that's it you've got in in that era you had your Bret Hart you had your Mr. Perfect you had um your, your Red Roosters your Terry Taylors yeah which I know that was going to strike a chord if you, if you like the Red Roosters <laughs> but you also had your guys like the Warrior and Hulk Hogan who both were not the best catches catch can yeah, I mean, style performers. Like Gloria Hogan, Sid Justice, The Undertaker at the time was bloody awful. Exactly. I mean, who's another one? Earthquake. Yeah. John Tenter. Couldn't hit a move to save his life. Elbow drops and power slams and the earthquake splash. That's all he did. That was it. But he had enough charisma to come to the ring and grab the fans' attention. The Warrior. Who can forget the minute that music hits mm. and you knew exactly what was going to happen and he belts down the ring, uh, down the aisle to the ring, shakes the ropes gets in and that's it Jesus Christ you ain't gonna stop for the next <laughs> 10 minutes or however long the match lasted for exactly and I mean no one would ever dispute that Andre the Giant one of the greatest wrestlers of all time but you know did he do flying head scissors and you know moonsaults off the top rope no he didn't you know he was just there he was a great wrestler because you believed in him you believed the persona it was a different time you didn't need to be a Jeff Hardy yeah, back in the eighties. Didn't 80s. want to be a Jeff Hardy. No, your career lasted longer. <laughs> but you, you didn't need to do like you said, flying head scissors or or Asahi moonsaults or swanton bombs or jumping off a fifteen foot high steel cage. You didn't need to do it. It was all about telling the story in the ring and getting the fans in gross. You and I watched that uh, European Rampage. Yeah, from Munich in ninety two. Mm. Well, we've seen bits of it. You, you didn't need to listen to the commentary the match got you engrossed and you were calling the moves before the guys were doing it because we know the performers so well and we could believe in the actual matches exactly you didn't care like you know what you, I mean it's like people you get in the ring today and it, it's sort of become a taboo subject everyone says you know you people these days don't know how to tell stories in the ring but mm. that's what it was it was just old school storytelling in the ring rather than um, you know who can do the biggest most ridiculous move in the world yeah the typical match was the heel would be at the top first the face would get beat down halfway through the match the role would change yeah the exactly. face would do the comeback and win the match and that is it. every match was the same philosophy yeah but it's what you got out of that match and I would much rather have seen an Ultimate Warrior match than a Santino Morella match yeah I mean Santino Morella is you know he's got a lot of potential absolutely he's um you know he's not the best worker in the world but entertainment wise he's good on the mic but he hasn't got that electricity he doesn't get the people you know standing up jumping up mm. and down cheering he doesn't sell you know thousands and thousands of pounds worth or dollars worth of merchandise but do you think if santino had been around 20 years earlier in the 80s in the 90s he would have been a draw uh no because of his size really yeah the era of the big man yeah I mean Sean and Brett obviously were the first two real uh, Mr. Perfect I guess to a lesser extent but obviously yeah. didn't make it to WWF Championship but they were the first two to really um, 
have the big push up to that you know because Vince was trying to avoid the steroid controversy at the time say yeah well, yeah we've got small guys that could do well as well yeah here's one <laughs> yeah here's another one here's another one and you know Owen Hart of course made the rise at that same point there were a lot of smaller guys uh, mm. around about that time um, sort of early to mid 90s really made that push yeah definitely I mean if we look back at, at, at the warrior which is which is what we're we're yeah, it's probably a good right time now. to switch over the, the subject before we go too far off on a tangent. And Which stick we to could do, but this is the whole point of this show. This is what's going to be happening. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you can imagine. Warrior, um, World Wrestling Federation, of course, is where he got his main, uh, his main push, but he actually started off with Sting. He did. Now, um, uh, prior to his career in professional wrestling, uh, he competed in a number of NPC contests, what's which that? are it's, that's bodybuilding. Right, um, and he won the 1984 Mr. Georgia contest. So not parts unknown then. No, no, he wasn't from parts unknown. He was from Georgia. Uh, he started training with weights when he was 11 years old, and has described himself as the small, insecure kid who wasn't into any sports. Can you honestly see the Ultimate Warrior as a small, insecure kid? I can't see him apart from being 300 pounds. Exactly. But what is interesting to note is back in the day he was actually called Jim Helwig. Yeah. Yeah. Not That's warrior, it. warrior. <laughs> um, in 1985, after spending six weeks in California training for a bodybuilding contest, Warrior was invited to join a group of bodybuilders, Garland Donahoe, Mark Miller, and Steve Flash Borden, who later became Sting, who are transitioning to professional wrestlers. Uh, Warrior accepted the invitation and abandoned his body career, uh, bodybuilding career and his plans to become a chiropractor. Now, could you imagine walking into a chiropractor's office and seeing a guy the size of Jim Helwig? Yeah, wanting to, you know... Crack your back. Yeah, exactly. That's, <laughs> no. Oh, that's, that's, that's got to be pretty scary. Um, okay. <laughs> Moving on to uh, his wrestling career. Um, he debuted in a world-class championship wrestling, WCCW, uh, as Dingo Warrior in 1986. Now, this was very, very similar to, you know... Oh no, sorry. He's, he began his professional wrestling career. I've, I've jumped ahead. You have, really, have you? UWF. Uh, he began his professional wrestling career as Jim Justice Helwig of Power Team USA, um, along with Steve Borden, who mm -hmm. was Sting. And then they formed a tag team known as the Blade Runners, with Warrior changing his ring name to Blade Runner Rock, and uh, Sting was Blade Runner Flash. Now, the funny thing about this, UWF, around that time, was also where Jim Ross was uh, working as well. So... Ross and Helwig got an introduction to themselves earlier, and also Steve Borden yeah. uh, would get brought back into WCW by uh, by good old JR uh, during that time. Now, early memories of these guys was very big jacked up. Sting or Steve Borden was the one that people were classing as having the most potential. Warrior was, was literally the power man, but these guys were meant to be the UWF version of the Road Warriors. Yeah. Absolutely, that was the idea. I mean, the Road Warriors at the time were, you know, the the, the thing as far as tag teams went. Um, you could see that in WWF because they brought out Demolition pretty soon afterwards as well to yeah. try and make their their copy of, uh, of, of the Road Warriors. Um, moving on to, as I was talking about before, WCCW. Uh, he debuted there as Dingo Warrior in 1986. Uh, formed a tag team with Lance Von Erich and the duo began, began competing for the WCWA World Tag Team Championship um, and they finally won the titles on November the 17th I mean getting teamed up with a Von Erich straight away that's a good push yeah that early in your career it's, it's got to be a vote of confidence definitely 
The interesting thing to note, though, I mean, on, okay, around the 80s, if wrestling fans who don't know, it was territory-based. You had territories all over the north of, the, of America, from UWF to TNA to um, MS to anywhere else. It, what is interesting to see here is he only did a year in each of those two territories. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So he's really trying to uh, move around and learn what he can from as mm. many people as he can, I think. I mean, when he left WCCW, he moved into the big leagues, and that was the World Wrestling Federation. Tenure there was from 87 to 91. Now, the story goes that in his debut, which was on an episode of, I believe, Superstars yeah. at the time, he actually did come in as the Dingo Warrior. Right. And if you watch the self-destruction um, of the Ultimate Warrior DVD, uh, available from Silver Vision, um, they show that match in its entirety. McMahon felt that Dingo Warrior just didn't really fit the character and wasn't... Um, as powerful as much as they wanted, so they changed it to the Ultimate Warrior. Okay, um, so Ultimate Warrior it was. He made his first real um, impact in uh, WWF, I believe WrestleMania 4 against Hercules. It was the two big power guys against each other. Um, that was his first big major feud, and very shortly after that um, came the very first SummerSlam, SummerSlam 88. Uh, Brutus the Barber Beefcake injured before his Intercontinental title uh, challenge. Uh, against the Honky Tonk Man and needed a mystery opponent for the Honky Tonk Man. Yeah, I mean, that, for me, was actually the first time that I'd ever seen The Warrior. Yeah. Watching that SummerSlam pay-per-view. Uh, when that electric guitar, you know, started to play and the drums started powering out, and the first thing you saw was The Warrior running down, you were instantly taken, um, not really by the size of him, by the, the speed and the ferocity of the guy running into the ring. Um, the match lasted, I believe, uh, 31 seconds. Yeah. Uh, it was a couple of spears followed by a, a gorilla press and then the cover for the free. And that was the Warriors' first real run with a major title. And what was interesting to note then is the Honky Tonk Man was the longest reigning Intercontinental Champion Yeah, at that point. Ended by the Ultimate Warrior, again showing what kind of faith Vince McMahon had in the Ultimate Warrior uh, to be able to dethrone. I mean, obviously they're building Honky as one of their major heels yeah. for the Intercontinental Division. Warrior just comes in and annihilates him in 30 seconds. Which Honky never really got over. No, no, not at all. Um, now, he held the Intercontinental Championship for bang on a year, lost it at SummerSlam. No, sorry, that's wrong. He lost it at WrestleMania, WrestleMania 5. 5 to Ravishing Rick Rude, regained it from Rude at SummerSlam 89. Which was the beginning of the great Rick Rude Warrior feud. I mean, Warrior's been many critics in the industry, former guest Bobby Heenan has said this many a times before, Warrior was not talented in the ring. No. Um, and the matches he had with Hercules were, were ugly to watch. The matches he had with Andre were ugly to watch. But something did click between Rude and the Warrior, and the matches they pulled off were great 20-minute Affairs. I mean, I remember WrestleMania 5 being close on 20, 25 minutes. Yeah, yeah. And SummerSlam 89, of course, the great win when Roddy Piper comes out. Yeah. And, and costs Rude the victory. Fantastic two matches. And again, the fan reaction for the Warrior, the pop he got, was unbelievable. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, Rude, uh, one of the things for Rude, I mean, up until then, Warrior had been in the ring with, with big guys, you know, very similar to himself, as we said, Andre the Giant, Hercules. Mm. Um, but Rude was willing to throw himself around the ring. He'd get back body dropped and, you know, pummeled all, all over the place, making the Warrior look so good. Yeah. Um, and that, at that point, you realised, you know, he, he just needs the right opponent to be able to look good. Uh, moving on from there, uh, the next big opponent, of course, was in 1990, 
they started teasing it around Royal Rumble time, Hulk Hogan and the Ultimate Warrior. I called the, the classic post down from Orlando, Florida at the Rumble, where it was the last... Uh, at one point, they were just the only two men in the ring. Yeah. And they did the, the crisscross, the, the connection. They didn't move anywhere. Um, first indication of, of what was going to happen, the anticipation for this match was electric. I don't know about you. I mean, you've, you've always said uh, that that match, that WrestleMania was your favorite yeah, WrestleMania of, of all time. Hulk Hogan fan, I take it. Um, well, bearing in mind, I only really started watching wrestling about uh, six weeks before that. Um, I was a, a Hogan and a Warrior fan. I mean, the first one I saw—I've said this story so many times—but um, it was a main event in, I think, February 1990. Um, Hulk Hogan versus Randy Savage for the WWF title, and uh, uh, Ultimate Warrior versus Dino Bravo for the Intercontinental title. So those two were, were built up as the two big faces. I was fans of both of them, to be honest, and I honestly didn't know what was going to happen at WrestleMania. What was it like? I mean seeing that because that was your first mania I mean that was like my second third one at the time watching it on video but yeah when you saw both of them coming down to the ring and the match which was for two workers that didn't really have the greatest skills in the world they pulled it off oh yeah definitely definitely and, and again there weren't any fantastic wrestling moves on show but as far as I'm concerned, that's one of the greatest matches of all time in, in WWF history. It, it, yeah, I mean, it goes as far as says wrestling. It doesn't get the recognition it deserves, really. No. I mean, if you think about it, the, the, the whole thing about telling the story, like we said earlier at the beginning of the show, the whole um, test of strength. Yeah, right at the, at the beginning start. of the match. Yeah, and that's that's all you needed. Um, you know, stuff like this. And there was lots of stuff. I mean, the first 10, 15 minutes was just them doing things back and forth to each other. One of them getting the up hand and the other one getting the up hand exactly the same way. And, you know, it was it was just really good classic storytelling. And in my opinion, we didn't see a match as epic as that until probably Rock Hogan at uh, 18. Uh, 18, yeah. Yeah, I completely agree. There was just something about that match. I mean, it was... Even at the end of it, where they teased the Hogan heel turn. Yeah. I mean, I, I was, and I will say this, I think people know this, you know this, because we spoke about it a number mm. of times. I've often said before, I did, at that time, you weren't a smart mark, you didn't understand how the business worked. I actually honestly thought Hogan was going to hit the warrior in the head with the title belt. Yeah. And I was kind of, you were almost sat there going, why? Why would you do it? Yeah. But that's what that match was about. Exactly. It, it sustaining disbelief. And the one thing, which we haven't touched on yet, we've got to touch on this, is Warriors promos. <laughs> yeah, Warriors promos. Very energetic, and at the time they sounded fantastic. Now you don't understand the word they're saying. No, but then again it was because you didn't understand a word they were sa- he was saying that you, you sort of thought, ah, he knows what he's talking about. I don't, but he knows what he's talking about, <laughs> and he's going to do some damage. And you know, the, the one that I remember is in the Sky Dome at WrestleMania. Yeah. The one that Edge talks about the on, one, on, the on the video. The, yeah. yeah, exactly. And you sat there at the time watching it I mean you were like basically you said, w- wishing for Hulk Hogan to get in an air crash on the way to Toronto or yeah, something it was just, <laughs> what <laughs> what are you talking about yeah a bit weird but he believed in it and the way he shoved Sean Mooney out there and, and just tried cutting the promos and it was just come on mate exactly help <laughs> um Moving on, of course, uh, he, he had a, a, about nine or so months of uh, defending the WWF Championship. It wasn't a huge success financially for the company. Um, lost the championship 
uh, in thanks to Randy Savage at the time of the Macho King mm-hmm. to Sergeant Slaughter leading into the Hogan Slaughter match at WrestleMania 7. But more importantly, leading into the Randy Savage Warrior career ending match. First time ever at that time in the World Wrestling Federation at WrestleMania 7 yeah. in 1991. Again, similar to the Hogan match. Yeah. This was a match where you instantly, A, you saw Savage turn face halfway through. Yeah. And B, it was the right opponent for the Warrior. Yeah, again, Savage didn't mind chucking himself all over the place and having the crap beaten out of him. He never has done. The only one disappointing thing about this match was when it was shown on VHS and they cut it halfway through. Really? Because if you watch the VHS... You've got a copy of the VHS. Uh, I don't think... uh, Oh, possibly, actually, yeah. Watch the VHS and then try and get a hold of uh, the DVD of the anthology. Mm-hmm. Um, because halfway through they do a bit where they're in uh, the ring they're in the move yeah. all of a sudden they both lay on the canvas really and it's kind of like um, they cut the match a little bit because the match was running 30-35 minutes yeah it was a long long mm. match um, of course the the X Factor in that match in my mind was Sherry yeah and in, Elizabeth and Liz at the end yeah well she was shown right at the start of the match being like at at ring, well, not a ringside, but uh, in a seat alongside the, uh, the, the railway. Yeah, yeah. But again, just the right sort of opponent for the warrior. And like you said, being chucked around left, right, and centre. I mean, the one thing that got me, which really solidified the warrior, was the four or five elbow drops that Savage did. Yeah, he and literally warrior... kept going up and up and up to the turnbuckle. He three must or four have been times. knackered though. Yeah, doing that because that takes a hell of a lot of. Um, of power to do that yeah. but it, it's the bit when Warrior gets up and then starts talking to the hands yeah because he, he does his whole um, you know everyone's thinking oh yeah here we go it, it's Warrior's going to win he does the gorilla press he does this big splash turns mm. him over one two but Savage kicks out and Warrior he was I think they teased it that he was just going to wander away from the ring because he'd lost belief in himself because he, he did he started to and then yeah. L Hebner had to try and you know convince well, him to come uh, back Savage in. made the mistake by coming out after him I think and clobbering him yeah and that woke him up again and he came back and finished off the match but again the other thing about a warrior match and it, it shouldn't affect this but we've said it time and time again what makes a match is the commentary yeah and the commentary for that match between Gorilla Monsoon and the brain yeah Bobby Heenan was fantastic yeah yeah absolutely I mean the only thing that I I mean I'm a huge Bobby Heenan fan I love all the old school commentators but the only thing that could have made it better for me was the old school Wrestlemania combo of Gorilla Monsoon and Jesse Ventura doing that match exactly that would have been awesome yeah definitely completely agree but for what we had it was great I mean Bobby Heenan taking the pot shots at the Warrior for talking to his hands and Gorilla Monsoon's emotive description of you can win this he's saying maybe he shouldn't do this maybe he should give in now yeah it really did draw you into the match and great that's what it was about again storytelling yeah exactly um moving on after that uh he ended savage's career of course in that match savage came back very shortly afterwards to that. <laughs> yeah uh, basically to or just after the warrior had finished off his next feud which was against the undertaker and jake the snake roberts um Savage kind of getting involved in the latter end taking on uh, Jake the Snake with mm-hmm. some again some interference with The Undertaker back and forth exactly and of course uh, one of the, the big key moments of the Ultimate Warriors career is the contract hold up uh, yeah this was uh, SummerSlam 91 yeah it was uh, billed as a match made in hell uh, it was a, a handicap 3 on 2 Hogan and the Warrior excuse me H- H- Hogan as WWF champion 
and the warrior against the triangular terror um sergeant slaughter colonel mustafa and general adnan um with sid justice at the time newly debuted sid justice yeah yeah in the world wrestling federation and warrior held up mcmahon backstage for the contract yeah and said i'm not going out there unless you pay me such amount of money yeah which obviously Vince had to do uh, to get him to go out there but fired him as soon as he came straight back in through the curtains and that was the end of stint one it was now um, no one really knew what had you know happened to the warrior those days we didn't have the internet we or the, the casual fans didn't have dirt sheets and we didn't really know what the state of play was with the warrior where had he gone why was he not on TV anymore we found the answer um, getting on for a year later at WrestleMania 8. Uh, it was the, the main event match, Hulk Hogan versus Sid Justice. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hogan's apparent last match, he was retiring. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sid Justice was a heel at that point. I don't know why they didn't see, keep Sid face for longer, but there we go. Yeah, definitely. Sid was a lot better at that time. And we had uh, Sid and Papa Shango at the end of the match trying to beat up Hulk Hogan and do as much damage as they can when some familiar music plays. Yep, the drums start playing, the guitar starts strumming, and out comes a rather smaller Ultimate Warrior. Yeah, definitely. Now, he'd had his hair cut. It looked uh, a lot neater hairstyle. He looked a lot smaller. People didn't... There was some controversy as to whether or not this was actually the same guy. There was... Because he started wearing the, uh, the, the leotard with the body print. Yeah. And like you said, many people did it. The haircut reminds me a lot of Shawn Michaels when he came back. Um, in 02 at the Survivor Series yeah 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 exactly which didn't fit the Warrior Um, comes out looked like he's missing a step or two he didn't look as big he didn't look quite as agile yeah as what he did and went straight into a feud with Papa Shango yeah not the best thing to uh, to relaunch him Uh, (laughs) to relaunch him on he he didn't actually last that long again with the company at that point Um, he formed a tag team with Randy Savage Mm mm-hmm as the what was it the ultimate maniacs? It was the ultimate maniacs. That was its Survivor Series. But before that, he actually did headline WrestleMania uh, SummerSlam. 92. Oh, of course! How could I forget that? I was there. I <laughs> yeah, he was uh, against the uh, Macho Man Randy Savage, who at that point had his career back and was WWF champion at the time. With no Liz. Yeah, with no Liz. Um, Again, another great storytelling match, that one. Savage and, and Warrior, again, proving they can work really well together. This time, Savage is, well, both of them as, as faces instead of uh, Savage being heel. And again, a different type of story in that one, but it, it still really worked well. Which match did you prefer? I preferred the first one. The career Seven, I think, yeah. Because yeah. it was a classic uh, good v. bad. Um, there weren't any sort of external elements like the Ric Flair and Mr. Bad ringside. What was it like being sat at Wembley? seeing that match because that must have been the first time you've seen the warrior or savage for that point live yeah yeah definitely i mean i I, i'm gonna leave that until we move on to we'll probably do a review of SummerSlam 92 at one point um so i think we'll we'll leave it till that um but yeah it was good it was really good and uh, the electricity around the, the the crowd you could you could definitely feel it um so yeah he he didn't win the championship at that point moved on formed a tag team with Randy Savage to try and take out Mr. Perfect and Ric Flair mm-hmm. and around about that time he disappeared from the WWF again yeah and again nobody really knew what happened no but that would have been the last time you saw Jim Helwig or the Ultimate Warrior for four years he made his return um, was it Wrestlemania 12 in Anaheim uh, just before Wrestlemania 12 yeah 
Yeah, um, it was 1996, uh, just before WrestleMania, challenged Triple H. Or at that point, Hunter or Hurst, Hunter Hurst Helmsley. Helmsley, yeah. Um, and it was one squash match. Yeah, exactly. It was, um, again, it's difficult to, to watch Triple H in the ring now and, and think it's the same guy who was there at, at WrestleMania 12. Well, yeah, he's about three times the size. Yeah, um, but you, you wouldn't see that match happen now, Warrior and, and Triple H. And especially not with Warrior going over. It was such a weird match to watch, though, because it, it did remind you a lot of SummerSlam. Yeah. 88, you know, the big run-in, the big debut, the squash. The thing this time, Warrior looked more like Warrior. Yes, you he know, did. He was back with the trunks. He looked a bit bigger. There was still something missing, though. Whether or not it was the fact that the business had moved on a lot from the 80s where he made his debut or the he fans had grown smarter. kind of mysterious. He was in the ring doing interviews that almost like made sense he was doing proper interviews in the middle of the ring with vince on monday night raw and when he comes out wearing a baseball cap yeah stuff like that he's just he was he was more humanized he wasn't this guy from parts unknown and no one knew anything about him and you know it was yeah it was a bit weird it was kind of like the times had, had, had moved on but the warrior hadn't yeah or he was trying too hard yeah yeah, quite possibly. Because, I mean, obviously that point was that the time was full of Bret Hart's and Shawn Michaels mm. and, uh, you know, Diesel, Razor Ramon. And, you know, these guys were the, the new blood and the new generation at mm. the time was the tagline for WWF. Um, and Warrior probably, yeah, did, probably felt that he did have some uh, some big foot shoes to fill. Exactly. I mean, it must have been hard going from a main event player to basically an upper mid card. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's what it was. was at that time. Yeah. Um, he had a, a brief feud with uh, Goldust and Jerry the King Lawler. Which is better, best forgotten. Yeah, and again, pretty shortly after that, was released from his contract again with, with the WWF. Now, the reason behind that is Warrior decided to no-show a number of pay-per-view events. And acting present at the time, Gorilla Monsoon, the great guy, um, uh, Gorilla Monsoon, stated that if Warrior didn't appear, he was being suspended for non-appearance. And then we never heard anything else. Yeah. And from that point on, you would not see what the Ultimate Warrior in the World Wrestling Federation again. No, that was it. That was it. Um, the next time we saw the Warrior was in 1998. Now, this was in the full-blown um, WCW versus NWO angle. WCW was doing its best just to try and get as many big stars, as many big names mm. as it possibly could. And uh, our Mr. Ultimate Warrior was one of them. And again, the minute he made his debut, Bischoff wondered what the hell he was playing at, um, which he's gone on record as saying. Warrior comes out on Nitro in front of uh, a capacity crowd of three ticket holders and um, proceeded to cut an interview that lasted for over 15 minutes and went completely off the mark. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's uh, <laughs> He brought back the history of the, the match at WrestleMania 6. Even, he even said the name, no -no. didn't he? Um, I don't know. He said you and I have met once before and I've already beaten you, which means why would anyone want to watch that match ever it, again? So he, there's no yeah, point. Yeah, he buried the entire feud. Yeah. And then who can forget the match? Yeah, with Hogan setting his hand on fire. It was nothing like the original. Nothing at all. The, I mean, both guys had changed a hell of a lot. It was only eight years uh, between the two matches, but it was just a world apart. Why do you think that was? Do you think, do you think the reason that as many people say and this is my view as well that the WWF Mania match in 90 was good was because McMahon kept them so tightly reined in and moves were planned 
there and then. And, and the reason the WCW failed is because basically it was left to Hogan to book the match. Yeah, quite possibly. Um, I mean, a combination of all of that, I think. I mean, I think they were built... It was built so well in 1990. Both of them looked unstoppable. Whereas in this one, Warrior just came back and said, all right, I'm going to go against Hogan. There was no build-up. Um, everyone knew that Hogan, a Warrior, wasn't going to be the one person to finish off uh, Hogan. Plus, Hogan was heel at the time. He didn't play that strong character. He was kind of the cowardly heel despite being Hulk Hogan. Um, he was scared of the warrior, and that's just not what it was all about in 1990. That's it. I mean, it's kind of like the whole Roddy Piper-Hogan feud from, from WCW, which we'll get into um, at some point down the line. But the warrior stint didn't last that long, and after Halloween Havoc, Warrior wanted a pay rise. Yeah. A substantial pay rise. And Bischoff cut him, cut his losses, and said, that's it, gone. Because the warrior didn't actually bring anything to WCW he didn't increase the ratings for Nitro in fact if anything he lost ratings yeah yeah I think so I mean it's um, at the time they needed better storyline booking rather than more stars they had the stars already there they just needed to use them the warrior didn't help at all and by that point he was way past his prime I yeah. think even he'd probably admit that at the time I think the, the thing about WCW at that point like you were saying was the NWO was so far over yeah, and there were so many big names in there already. I mean, if you look at Nash, Hall, Goldberg, um, Hogan, Bret Hart, Jarrett, you know, all the big Ric Flair, the Horseman, mm. Kurt Henning was in there at that point. All the big names were already in there. That again, Warrior must have just come in, thinking he was going up for main event level. Yeah, and again was backing up a mid card. Yeah, yeah. even Sting was higher than 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 the Warrior. Yeah, exactly. And that's got to be a hard thing to bear. Definitely, after being on top of the uh, of the WWF at the time with King of Wrestling. Um, now, of course, released from his contract 1998 in WCW. Skip forward 10 years, taking us to today. Um, the New Wrestling Evolution Company, which is in uh, based out of Italy. The Warrior, despite saying numerous times he wouldn't be back in the ring, he's back. He's back. Um... During uh, an April 19th, 2008 New Wrestling Evolution event in Madrid, Spain, uh, Warrior was presented with an award celebrating his professional wrestling career in front of over 15,000 attendees. During the presentation, NWE champion Orlando Jordan, formerly at WWF, of course, or WWE, mocked a fan of Warriors, resulting in a heated argument between Warrior and Jordan. As a result of the exchange, a match between Warrior and Jordan is scheduled for June 25th, 2008 uh, in Barcelona, marking Warrior's first professional wrestling match since October 1998. So by the time you hear this, the match will already have taken place, and you can... You check it out ultimate warrior dot uh, no sorry ultimate warrior tv check out that website and uh, you'll be able to find out some information on that match click the banner at the top of the web page uh, for more details what do you think i mean by the, like you said by the time they listen to this the match will be over yeah um what do you think warrior is going to be like now he's still really well built um he can still do a lot of the same stuff again he wasn't the, the greatest technical guy he still looks to have a lot of his movement mm. um, he's saying that he is still going to have the same hair that he had before he asked huh? his fans to vote on what hairstyle he should have hang on he had short back and sides in April I know so whether or not he's going to have hair extensions or something like that I do not know do you think this is an act of desperation um, possibly depends how much they're paying him though of course 
That's so, a good point. very good point. Now, but what we've got coming up is uh, something to just to sort of shed a little bit of light on some stuff. Now, we interviewed the Ultimate Warrior back in 2005 when he was over in the UK. Um, we've played some clips of the interview before. Um, we may have aired it on live radio, but this is the first to uh, actually own this interview in its in its entirety. Uh, download it to your iPod, download it to your computer, and uh, have a listen. This is the Ultimate Warrior in 2004, about his wrestling career, his speaking career, and uh, his views on, on other things in life. So, And you can actually understand the interview. Yeah, I mean, everyone says he's an asshole, but I sort of had I had no problems he seemed like a nice enough guy to me when, when we met him so it might well be a lot of people braining things out of proportion or we might have just caught him on a good day who knows <laughs> um, but anyway we're going to go to the, the Ultimate Warrior interview take a, a very short break and then we're going to come back and tell you a little bit about this tag team tournament successes, as well as his defeats, the expansion of the WWE, the XFL, the battle with WCW, and taking on his critics. Without question, my father loves controversy. Anything he can do to, to fight the world, take it all on, he would. Get exclusive interviews from the people who know him best, the McMahon family, Triple H, Hulk Hogan, Kurt Angle, and more. Plus, you'll see some of the most outrageous moments ever seen on television, including Mr. McMahon's famous rivalries, classic matches, and the infamous Kiss My Ass Club. Who is the real Vince McMahon? Find out with McMahon, available now on DVD. I can best describe as a wrestling icon. I grew up watching him on television, as I'm sure many of you did as well. It's the one and only the warrior himself. Thanks for having me. So first of all, what everyone wants to know is what made you decide to take the path that you did into wrestling? Um, well, I never had a dream to be a professional wrestler. I was in bodybuilding. I was pursuing a career in uh, chiropractic. I was going to school in Atlanta, Georgia, and working out and exercising was part of that whole experience, you know, education. And I was doing some amateur bodybuilding, wanting to be a, pro, a professional bodybuilder. And Atlanta, Georgia was a hotbed for professional wrestling at the time. Uh, NWA yeah. was really big then. And I didn't know any of the wrestlers, but I went to all, frequented all the different gyms in the area uh, in um, Maricopa County or Marietta County, wherever it was, right outside of Atlanta. And uh, 
an opportunity came up. Somebody asked me if I wanted to get in wrestling. I was about at the end of my school, and I thought it was a great lateral move for me. I wanted to open my own practice when I get out. I didn't want to go to work for anybody. And like other people that are ignorant about others on television, I thought, you know, if you get on TV, those guys must make a lot of money. So uh, one thing led to the next. I went to California, and I got hooked up with a group out there. Sting was a part of it, Steve Borden at the time. And our ignorance was probably our savior because we didn't. We thought we had enough training just after a few hours. So we started making contacts with the local uh, uh, outlaw regional wrestling territories, starting in Tennessee. And uh, but it wasn't a dream of mine to be a pro- uh, professional wrestler. Um, a lot of guys, when I got to that level in bodybuilding, I saw that a lot of guys they they couldn't make a career out of their bodybuilding. So it was natural for me to think. You know, I'm wanting to be successful, wanting to set goals for myself, that if I could use my body mm. in professional wrestling to make money, then that would be great. And you, saw, you still look to be in fantastic shape. So oh, thank you. What would be the key <laughs> to keeping such You're kind. Shape? No, I am. I'm, I mean, I'm really in great shape, you know, uh, with as much modesty as I guess I can conjure up. I, I still love exercise, and I'm still very intense about my exercise. I would still put my reputation on the line in any gym with anybody else about the intensity I put forth in my workouts. My body weight is lower, about 35 pounds, mostly because of the food and the commitment. I mean, to have that kind of weight and carry that kind of muscle mass around, it's a full-time job. You know, it's something you have to constantly focus on. And uh, when I was making money doing it, then it was a different thing. You know, I have another career now. I got a family. And when I'm home, Back in the states, I'm not. I just don't have the desire to eat every two or three hours to keep that kind of weight on. So, um, still very much in exercising and working out. Love it. Cool. I mean, as you mentioned, you've moved on into another career now. You're doing public speaking. Yeah. Uh, what made you decide to go from wrestling to public speaking? Because it's quite a bit of a. It's kind of similar, but very different in another way. Well, I wanted to. I wanted to keep. You know, I had some very serious fallouts with Vince McMahon. And it was before it became WWE and there were a bunch of other people. I mean, back when I was in it, basically the talent got the ball and you ran with it. If you didn't fumble it, you kept to get, you kept getting the ball. You developed your character. You came up with all your creative storylines. You and the other talent, like if I was working with Macho Man or Rick Rude, we would come up with our soap opera thing that was really happening. The office, the office was made up of about two or three people. Yeah. You went to you know, I went straight to Vince. Yeah. Now there's a whole chain of command, and I hear that there's politics involved and stuff like that. If there were politics when I was in it, I didn't know it. I just worked hard and created my own spot in the business. Public speaking, well, I had these fallouts with Vince and them, and I had to, by necessity, really build another career. Um, yes, to pay my bills, but more so because one of the lessons I've learned, life ex- lessons I've learned in having success is that it was never the money, it was never the fame, it was never the celebrity that was satisfying to yeah. me. It was achie- setting goals and achieving them. Yeah. So, you know, I was in my mid-30s. I wasn't just going to sit or retire and just not do anything. I, it'd, be, it'd be really great if young kids got that, and that's one of the things I try to do when I go out and talk to young kids is have them get that, that, look, what is going to be fulfilling for you in your life is the work itself. That's right. You know, not the, the big goals are sort of going to be anticlimactic. Like when I got in wrestling, I set a goal to become the best in it. When I had my match with Hogan, it was almost it was sort of anticlimactic because here I had been pushing and driving to achieve a goal mm-hmm. to be the best in it, and there wasn't any greater statement than that match that I had with Hogan to say, "Ultimate Warrior is a character yeah. that uh, made it and was successful in the business." So um, I started with a real simple idea, uh, just going out talking to young people, all different ages, uh, 
small kids, uh, elementary school kids, junior high school, high school, college kids. Uh, just that, look, man, if you have this incredible potential in your mm-hmm. life, you know, that you've been given just because you have life. Yeah. And no matter what you've believed up to this point, if you make the right choices and you choose to do things with your life, you can have an incredible life. So it's a power of choice, really, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, well, yeah. I mean, you're born with the brain mm-hmm. and you can make your brain into a mind. Everybody has the potential. One of the things I did when I got out of wrestling, because I was on the road like 300-some-odd days a year, is uh, I redirected my energy into this learning journey. I started reading the great books of the Western world, all the great classical literature and stuff. It became something of mine. It just became something I wanted to do. And I, I, I attacked it with the same intensity um, as I did my working out and exercising. And... Uh, it was an incredible experience for me to learn all this stuff. And the first time I went out to the college campuses, I, and I wanted to talk about serious ideas, and I got this glazed-over look back from college students, it really hit me that we, there's a problem in our education system, that we're teaching people uh, how to be almost robotic. They're learning a technical skills to go out and make a paycheck and get a job, but they're not being enlightened. Right. about what it means to be a human being right. and their potential as a human being and what the responsibilities are as a human being. And uh, so that became a, a pursuit of mine. Uh, I thought to myself, the first few times I went out to the college campus, I said, there's got to be young college kids that are getting it on a deeper level. Yeah. And so I hooked up and with some what would be conservative organizations at the time and did find some of those kids but in the last couple of years I've seen a lot of hypocrisy and a lot of phoniness and stuff and uh, but the public speaking yeah that's something that I do that I'm doing and so in your public speaking so you're preaching about obviously the ideas and trying to make people listen and stuff like that so I mean has there ever been a time when you thought they just when you said like they're not just getting it you just thought I might as well not be here and walked off or did as you say use the intensity that you have and just drove the point home to them yeah I mean I go out and I talk with the same passion and I don't pull my punches about anything um, and uh, I was when I was a little kid I was the one kid in the whole group of kids that got it and things changed my life like when a person walked into my life my dad left when I was young and this football coach stepped into my life I got into exercise, it changed my entire, it changed my attitude about my life, it changed the way my beliefs about myself, and it changed uh, the direction of my life. Uh, I don't go out trying to make friends. Matter of fact, I start my speeches by saying, look, I'm not here. Most of the kids, a lot of them are wrestling fans. They knew the Ultimate Warrior. A lot of times when I'm speaking, you know, if I go to college campus, they're 17, 18, 19 years old, all of a sudden everybody's face will turn into a 10-year-old kid. Because at the peak of my career they were 10 years old but I start my speeches by telling them that I'm not there to be their friend Mm. it's not my goal to be their friend I'm there to be a mentor I'm 45 years old the last thing 45 year old man needs to do especially somebody with unique life experiences such as mine is go out and try to befriend 20 year old kids that's the problem we got going on in our culture today is parents want to be friends they don't want to be parents and too many adults want to still behave like kids and our society depends on that when you grow up, you should think and act like it. It's just that simple for me. Yeah. And so I go out and I talk, and it does have an impact on them because they see that I talk with the same passion and intensity as the Ultimate Warrior, the very thing that hooked them yeah. when they were wrestling fans and they got Ultimate Warrior. That's the hook was the hook. You know, there's a lot of different things. You go down a list, but that's the thing, man, was the intensity and passion and the, just drumming up this, uh, this energy that, 
you know, people felt. Um, I do that in my speaking engagements, and I talk about serious ideas. And no, they're not going to get it all in an hour and a half, but I'm going to plant little seeds. And they're going to get it, that their life, where they end up in their life, is their responsibility. It's nobody else's. And uh, so I emphasize those things. I call it a conservative philosophy of life, but it really doesn't have anything to do with politics. It's more philosophically. There are things that have worked since the beginning of time, going back to the days of the cavemen, that have brought us to the place that we are today. Yeah. You know, where we can have all the creature comforts and stuff that we do, where we can have all the securities that we do, where we can have all the, the safety and uh, enjoyments that we do in this, you know, this 21st century. And it starts with that people used to think and provide for themselves. And uh, we're, we're building, a, 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 you know, for a few generations, we've been building the idea that you're not responsible for your life, that you can just dismiss it, that somebody else will pick up your tab. And that's not the way life works. And uh, my goal is to go out and create a resurgence of people, young kids. And it, it happens. I know it does. Of people who, who come up through their life and they realize that. And I do it more. Most importantly, I do it because I got two little kids. I got a four-year-old and a two-year-old. Me and my wife want to have two more kids. They're going to grow up in this world, man. Yeah. And it's a, it's, a, it's a little scary out there. You're trying to make a better place for them. Yeah. That's commendable, very commendable. Yeah. If there's a lot more people like that, maybe we wouldn't be in the situation we're in now, as you say, so that's very commendable. Yeah. And so, today you're at the Expo, you've been here since yesterday as well. Mm-hmm. What has it been like meeting the fans? Because a lot of the fans haven't been able to get out to America to meet you. Yeah. And I know we had people phone up yesterday that we spoke to, like, oh my God, he's here, he's here, I've got to come yeah. and meet him. What has that been like uh, for you? Oh man, it, it, it makes me cry almost, you know, man. It gets me in the heart because the fans are, you know, they made the, I know that they made, they gave so much back to the Ultimate Warrior. They were so instrumental in the success I had as a, in that industry and stuff. And uh, there's just an incredible bond that that character made with his fans. And um, it's really special for me to go out, you know, and meet the fans. Was there ever a time when you thought, when you actually... In the, in the heyday of the WWE, when you WWF as it was then, sorry, and you just you just thought, I can't believe I'm doing this. You know, I can't believe what these people are actually cheering here for what I'm doing. Was there ever that, that ever crossed your mind or? No, uh, I guess I'm sort of a paradox because as appreciative as I am for the fans and as much as it really touches my heart, mm. uh, I'm not modest that they got behind it because I busted my ass. <laughs> No, I mean, I mean, I busted my ass for that reason. When I got in the business, I wasn't second or third generation wrestler. I had no dream to be a wrestler. But when I got in it, I used my head to succeed in it. I knew that they were starting to use guys with bodies. I knew I had more knowledge than other guys. I had a bodybuilder's physique. There were a lot of guys with big arms and big chest, big shoulders, but they didn't have legs. They didn't have stomach muscles. Mm-hmm. I knew that if I enshrouded my body in a character that was energetic and comic-like, yeah. that I could succeed in the business like nobody else did. Um, so it was always, um, I mean, it was a self-fulfilling prophecy for me because I pursued the business in that way. I would not have stayed in the wrestling business just to be a wrestler. And uh, it was, um, to get that back was really great. I mean, I was one of the greatest things in doing the career. It was never for the celebrity or fame. And that's probably why I've been mischaracterized so much. So many guys have had fallouts with the McMahons or they talk about how they can't stand the way the business operates, they can't stand the politics of it, but they keep going back. 
They never go on and do anything else. True. And the reason is is because they're they have an ego that's unhealthy. Mm. They're doing it for the wrong reasons. And I never did that. It was always amazing to Vince. Like the first time I had three separate fallouts with him. The third one led to a five-year lawsuit. But the first after the first one, he thought for sure that within 24 hours of it, he was going to be calling and begging him, begging him back to have my job. And I was gone for eight or nine months. And I was living in the mountains in Santa Fe, New Mexico. And they tracked me down, you know, found me out. And I, I never called them to go back. They always called me. I was always happy. Uh, in my life doing other things. I never had any doubts that I could do something else. Speaking of the Mamanzas you have, I mean, what is the relationship like with them now? Is it you've not spoken to them or is it just case? No, the last time I, I saw them was uh, the day that my legal battle settled with them. The trial was supposed to start and we worked all day. The judge worked as a mediator and we settled the suit that night. That's the last time I've had any communication with them uh, whatsoever. You've changed your name now from obviously Jim Elwig to The Warrior. Right. What prompted that change? Yeah, just the one name, A Warrior. My kids have it as their surname. My wife took it as her surname. I, you know, I changed it back in 93. It had a lot to do where I thought my entertainment career was going to go. Uh, I went out to California after one of the fallouts I had with Vince. And I, like any goal that I'd ever had in my life, I wanted to succeed. And I had this look, and I was a big fan of Arnold when he did the Conan series. Yeah. And when Arnold first signed on for that, he was going to do five movies. And uh, then his price, then he did Terminator, and his price, you know, his ticket went up, price for doing the movies went up, so he never finished the series. Yeah. And my idea with an agent guy, a very high-profile agent out there at ICM, who I was working with at the time, my idea was, was to take my look and go to pursue and finish the Conan series. It was a natural, you know. Yeah. But at that time, the entertainment industry wasn't as acceptable to professional wrestling. It still had a huge stigma attached to it. They had not yet stepped over the threshold into legitimate entertainment like Rock and those other guys had now. And I lived out there for six months. I did the acting classes and the, the, the calls, the audition calls and stuff. And the, the phoniness was just, I couldn't take it. I mean, I just couldn't take it. I'd already played huge dues to become successful in professional wrestling. And I just thought, I'm, this isn't going to work for me because I can't handle the two-faced you know, behavior and talking out of both sides of your mouth and stuff. I couldn't take it anymore. And I was successful, and I knew I could do other things. I came back to Arizona where I was living at the time, and I just became an entrepreneur and started my, you know, my own stuff. But that was the reason why I originally changed the name of Warrior. I thought, if I'm going to go for it, go for it. Yeah. You know, I wasn't interested, and you've seen a lot of those action stars over the years, they try to take a stab at doing the serious movies, you know, yeah. like Van Damme did and Sylvester Stallone did. He got the big gut for that one movie and stuff like that. My deal was to go do action movies. Yeah. And I was I had seen such incredible self-discipline that I, was, I would do anything to make it happen. In fact, I told the people when I first sat with them, I said, um, don't pay me anything to do movies. Mm. Use the celebrity I have, but pay people pay others that have the talent to be around me so they can help me do it right. Yeah. And out there in California, they didn't get that. They thought I was cuckoo, you know? And uh, But later, changing my name came to mean a lot more to me. Um, your name used to mean something. Going back to the times, that's why movies like Braveheart and Gladiator and stuff, they touch, they strike such a chord with people because they're such a traditional thing to them. Um, and they, they appeal to everybody on a really soul-like level. And um, 
I met my wife, I'm her girlfriend at the time, and when we decided that we were going to get married, I'd already come a long way. I'd started uh, writing a lot and thinking about my philosophy of life and my speaking career and, you know, what's missing here, how come people don't get this about their lives and the dysfunctional family relationships people had and the disconnection people had to traditional stuff that was really, at the end of the day, the stuff that's important, the stuff that even if you don't get it for 80 years of your life, when you're laying on death's bed, you get it. You know, your last 24 hours, you start getting it. Wow, I missed it. You know, I didn't get the answer to it. It's all that traditional bonded stuff. Stuff and country that America was forged on. Yeah, it used to be that way, the coat of arms and what your name meant. Like, I go out and speak at college campuses and somebody, you know, ethnic will stand up and say, I want my ethnicity recognized, you know. it's What about America being diverse and stuff like that? Uh, and I say to them, you know, they, you know, they act like they've been prejudiced against, you know, that there's a prejudice against them, you know, typically a black person or something. And I'll say, tell me something about your grandpa and grandma. And they can't tell me anything. Look, if you want me to respect your ethnicity, then tell me something about your ancestry. Yeah. So anyway, I grew up, and I had a, my mom raised me and my four brothers and sisters really great. And uh, I come from a loving, caring family. I don't have any horror stories, you know, like for Jesse Ross, yeah. Sally Jesse Raphael or anything like that. But uh, my dad let us down, and most family people do let others down. They don't tell you anything about what your grandpa's and your ancestry, what they thought about life, mm. you know, when they came here and stuff. And I, me and my wife decided that was important. That's what we were going to do with our family. So we have, you know, mission statement and coat of arms. And it doesn't matter that it's contemporary times. I don't care that you can get room service 24 hours a day and you can watch television 24. My kids four and two they are already getting it it's deep in them already man that their lives mean something and um so we took on the name we're just starting anew that's a mess yeah very very cool when it's obviously in keeping with all your values and you've mentioned obviously that a lot of people are returning to the rings with their egos and things if you were to i mean obviously if you were i mean i don't even begin to know if you would ever turn turn to return to the ring especially i mean hogan has recently famously done it um and it's got the response has been tradition- amazing. I mean, would you ever, if you considered doing it, who would you go back to fight just one more time? I don't know. You know, I say to people, never say never, but there'd have almost have to be a crystal ball, mm. you know, so I could see exactly how it was going to happen. Yeah. That there wasn't no, you know, no getting screwed over type of way about it. Yeah. And um, so, if it was on your terms, then if it was how they benefited the warrior or the warrior and your family then it would be something you consider it's something you could control yeah if i could control it you know up to a certain point look i don't have all the ideas when i went yeah. back to work with wcw in 1988 i wanted to take the warrior character to another level in the first 15 minutes i was in the ring with hogan doing the good versus evil thing mm. i was taking a lot of the learning i'd done it was a it was a huge platform for them to go with but nobody there wanted to get it they were already, entertainment had already decided, let's do what the lowest thing is to do. Um, they didn't want to put the time in to make it really powerful and unique. Yeah. And uh, it wouldn't, you know, it would take other people than me to make it happen, mm. uh, even with creative ideas. But I think there would be, I think the warrior is a character, Ultimate Warrior was a character that could make it happen. Yeah. Um, but I don't know, it'd be a lot of work involved. And I'm sure from speaking to you today that it would be something you could do and do 100%. But before we let you go, what does the future hold for you? Um, 
Well, I've been working on my books for a couple years. You know, I want to write my books. I think it's a cop-out to have somebody ghostwrite your book, and I think it'd be a cop-out for me just to tell about my road travel experiences. There's a lot of great stories I have. I think, first of all, i got a different story to tell, and it's not an in-house book. It's not being written while I'm working yeah. at WWE, and they got an editor overseeing the project. Um, I had, you know, I'm the only guy that ever stood up to Vince and uh, fought him on principle, really. You know, it was ba it was a breach of contract, yes, is what it started, but then it became a thing about who owns this. Yeah. And, you know, I've never been the guy to say, look, I alone created uh, what it became, mm. you know, how worldwide known. It's a two-way street. But you can't just recreate characters. If they would, you know, you can't, uh, I mean, even in this interview, you know, I'm cognizant of the fact, you know, that, I'm an intense individual. You can't just take somebody and make them ultimate warrior. Uh, that came from the inside. The same thing with the Hulk Hogan or a, a Brock Lesnar or a Rock or any of those people. But they took the position that, no, we created everything. We gave you every idea that you ever had. You know, we told you everything that you said. We got your costumes. We gave you all our creative leads. And that's just a bunch of bunk. And uh, I'm going to continue doing that. And, you know, there's so many different ways to make a living, yeah. you know, to pay your bills. Big deal. But there are a lot of people that, uh, you know, they have a life, but they're not living. Yeah. You know, and so I'm living. So you have a website as well. UltimateWarrior.com. I do a lot of writing there. There's a lot of writing. I've been doing there since the early 90s. Um, I just hooked up with a guy. A lot of people over the years have asked me about working out. And, you know, I've been in working out and stuff for a long, long time. And it's kind of sickening to me because the business is it's a $6 billion a year business because they keep people confused. Yeah, It's real simple anything. Like with your radio program and what you want to do here, whatever your dreams are, just do it. Don't ask people how to do it. Just do it. Yeah. When somebody comes up and asks me how to be a pro wrestler, what they want me to do is they want me to give them a phone number and they want me to give them a guarantee and they want me to hold their hand to the ring and they want me to make sure that they make all the money and have all the success. Yeah. Do it. Quit asking people. Whatever time you spend asking people how to do something, just stop that and start doing it because you're going to make mistakes. Ultimate Warrior, Dingo Warrior was an Ultimate Warrior. No. You know, and how I started out first speaking isn't the speaker that I am today or the speaker that I'm going to be. So it's... Um, just keep on getting on. I pay my bills. I don't ask anybody to pay my bills. I'm happy. I'm watching my babies grow up. I want to enjoy that. And uh, I'm still going to be around. So the message, message, one last message for your fans would be, if you could tell them anything for today, then what would it be? To that whatever they got as a kid watching Ultimate Warrior, that, that commitment, that dedication, that passion, that intensity, for uh, putting on, you know, watching me perform, watching Ultimate Warrior perform, and everything I gave in that, that they need to transpose that in their own lives, man, and they need to take it up the next level. If they're sitting there wondering what it was, because it's, it's you know, you're on the spot when you ask somebody that question. What was it about the Ultimate Warrior that people yeah. really got? You know, why is Ultimate Warrior something that always comes up with wrestling talk all the time. Why do people still want to know? Yeah. I mean, think of the long list of other characters there have been. Nobody ever asked about them. No. I mean, from 91, from 90 to, to the year 2000 or to now, I was in the business 18 months. All the other time I was gone. Mm -hmm. I mean, and so uh, I would say, uh, out of respect for your own fanship for the character, 
you know, or being a fan of it. Take it to the next level, you know, in your own life. Do something with your life that's going to live forever. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank really, you very genuinely much. Has. You're Thank welcome, you very man. much. No problem. WrestleZone.com. WrestleZone.com. When something takes place in the world of professional wrestling, you know where to go. WrestleZone.com. WrestleZone.com. Covering all the latest breaking news daily. Interactive forums where you can chat with thousands of other wrestling fans. Exclusive editorials and audio features by some of today's top wrestling superstars. Exclusive video content, weekly polls, live play-by-play coverage of every WWE and TNA pay-per-view. And now, and now, featuring WrestleZone Radio, live, live, with news, in-depth discussions, debates, and interviews with wrestling's top stars, past, past, and present, present. When you think wrestling, think WrestleZone. WrestleZone.com Welcome back to the Legends and Champions podcast and hope you enjoyed the interview there with the Ultimate Warrior. And as I say, it's great actually meeting the guy and he seemed down to earth enough for me, you know? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I've listened to that a few times actually and um, it never gets to me how, like you said, how down to earth and how open he was answering the questions. So Yeah. Of course, that was, uh, that was pre-old school. Wasn't it? Yes, yes, exactly. Um... So there you go, Ultimate Warrior. I mean, we're going to see if we can maybe get in touch with Ultimate Warrior again. I mean, he's, he's back in the limelight. Maybe see if we can get him to talk about some of his career prior to uh, his NWE. Be great. Uh, be, be great to in. get a catch up with him and find out maybe his, a bit more about his thoughts and feelings on the McMahon Empire. Yes, definitely. That could be, uh, could be enlightening. Now, <laughs> let's move on to the uh, Legends and Champions podcast Fantasy Tag Team Tournament. Now, uh, if you had listened to last week's podcast, we mentioned this. Uh, we've got a 32-team tournament, fantasy tournament. We are going to be using a proper wrestling simulator to simulate these matches and see which tag team out of all of these comes out as the greatest tag team of all time, in our opinion. What, what, um, what, sorry, what we should say is how difficult it was to narrow the tag teams down. Oh, definitely. I mean, we, we're having trouble finding eight, then we're having trouble like trying to narrow it down to 16. So we went for the full 32, and there were still ones we had to miss out. Uh, but I think what we've got here is the cream of the crop, the, the best 32 tag teams from the, you know, the 80s and 90s. Uh, got some really good names here. So I'm going to go through the brackets that we've got. Uh, we've got some, some pretty good matchups here. First round matches, The Hart Foundation, Bret Hart and Jim Neidhart against Doom, Ron Simmons and Butch Reed. That is going to be interesting. Again, yeah. on paper, my money would be on The Hart Foundation. I think so, yeah. But then again, you never know how the power of Doom is going to um, going to affect that. Exactly, and also with this one, the two X-Factors in this match, if this is um, 87 time, if you're taking The Hart Foundation from the 87, mm. uh, 87 format... You've got Jimmy Hart at ringside. Yeah. And of course, Doom 
I've got Teddy Long or Woman. Or Woman, yeah. Yeah. Yep. So two very, very skilled managers. Next uh, matchup we've got is the New Age Outlaws, uh, Road Dog and Billy Gunn against Sting and Lex Luger. Now you and I were talking about this one when the when we were putting the brackets together, and mm. this is a bit tricky because if you look at the two teams, if you put it on paper, yeah, Sting and Luger, they should, should annihilate them. Exactly. If you look at tag team experience, yeah, should be the Outlaws. Exactly. So Depends I, how it's all going to play out. Exactly. I can't call this one. I can't even predict it. No, that's going to be a very interesting one to watch. Uh, next one is the Rock and Roll Express, Robert Gibson and Ricky Morton taking on Owen Hart and Yokozuna. Old school tag team, old school trained wrestler, but a big 500 pound powerhouse. Money, Owen Hart and Yokozuna. Gotta be, but again, of course, they're only team for a short time and Rock and Roll Express tag teams for years. Exactly. Again, it's the, the whole tag team experience thing could come into it. it. Definitely. I mean, next up is is one that is, is salivating if it was ever on paper. The Midnight Express against Marty Jannetty and Shawn Michaels, the Rockers. Absolutely, that could be good. And uh, I'm going to be specific about the Midnight Express we're using. We're going to use the Midnight Express, Stan Lane and Bobby Eaton. Ooh, not the original. The ori- uh, no, they're not the original. They're the second ones. They're third. There you go. <laughs> oh, shut up. Because <laughs> uh, you've got Dennis Condry and... Uh, uh, I forget the other guy's name. But anyway, they didn't make that much of an impact. No, well, no. I mean, they were good. They were the originals. But um, Bobby Eaton and Stan Lane are the uh, are the the prominent ones in the the period of the eighties and nineties that we're looking at. So uh, that's going to be a really good match. Again, similar styles should be really good. Yeah. Next one we've got again. This is uh, two classic tag teams: the British Bulldogs, Dave Boy Smith, Dynamite Kid, against Money Incorporated, Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase, and Erwin R. Scheister. Again, difficult one because the 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 power, the speed, the the agility is the Bulldogs. The yeah. power of Davey Boy, the um, the high flying ability of of Dynamite. Yeah. Sorry. But the technical expertise goes to Money Incorporated. Oh, big time. Ted DiBiase and, of course, Mike Rotundo, who was also part of Varsity Club with Barry Windham. Yeah. So, great tag team specialist, specialist here in, in terms of Money Inc. Um, have to make your prediction, Money Inc. I think so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, next matchup we've got is the Dream Team, Brutus the Barber Beefcake, or not the Barber at that point, just Brutus Beefcake, and Greg the Hammer Valentine. They're going to be taking on Booker T and Stevie Ray Harlem Heat. Ooh. Again. Mm. This is tough. This is very tough. Again, technical ability from um, the the Dream Team and and the Wiley Cunning from them. Harlem Heat has got a lot of power behind them. It's, again, a very difficult one to call. I mean, Dream Team was was a team of combination of power and technical. I mean, Greg Valentine was more your technical side. Brute's Beefcake was more your power because Beefcake was another warrior. He was never refined in the ring. He wasn't, you know, the great Cassius Cat. A bit of a brawler. Harlem Heat. Um, Booker T has shown what he can do in the ring yeah. since the debut. Stevie Ray again was the powerful dude. Um, tag team experience. 12 time WCW uh, tag team champion. Uh, money on Harlem Heat? I think so. I'd go the same. Uh, next up now this is going to be a good one we've got uh, Axe and Smash Demolition taking on Matt and Jeff the Hardy Boys Hardys do you think you're going to go Demolition on this one aren't you again because I'm old school and you know I love Demolition a bit so if it, if it comes down to pure power 
Oh, demolition. It's demolition. Easy. But if Matt and Jeff can get a good start off the starting block, yeah. Um, tag team specialists that they already are. Demolition were the powerhouse brawlers. Most of their moves were power. They were more power based. Um, not a lot of tag team combos really, apart from the the backbreaker elbow off the mid off the middle rope. Yeah. Um, the Hardys get get Jeff in there to do some of the death to find you. The Swanton got Whisper in the Wind. Uh, the Twist of Fate by Matt. Hardys could pull it off. Yeah, definitely. especially a '98, '99 version of the Hardys. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, the next one we've got again. This is going to be an interesting one. The Natural Disasters, Earthquake and Typhoon taking on the Freebirds. Uh, Freebirds in this one being Michael, P.S. Hayes, and Jimmy Garvin. Ooh, how can you take a tag team seriously with a Shockmaster? Yeah, true. Very true. <laughs> Um, but again, it's going to be whether or not it comes down to a wrestling match or just pure power with that one. Yeah, again, experience-wise, it's the Freebirds. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Michael PSA is, of course, a great tag team guy. It's a shame he's not a good road agent. I mean, we, we mentioned, uh, had earlier on Demolition against the Hardys. Mm-hmm. This one is very, very similar. Mm. We've got the Road Warriors, the original Road Warriors, Hawk and Animal, uh, taking on Edge and Christian in their tag team prime. Yeah, I mean, my money as much as I rate Edge, yeah, and I rate Christian, excuse me, as a tag team, fantastic workers. Money is definitely going to go on the road warriors. Yeah, if you take it, if this is taken from the mid '80s where they were NWA, mm. um, of course you can forget the scaffold match at Starcade. Yeah, um, you've got to go with the road warriors. They were a lot more brawler, they were a lot more tougher, and they weren't the watered down version that you saw in the World Wrestling Federation around. Exactly. It wasn't the Legion of Doom. It was the Road Warriors. They just kicked ass the whole time. And again, the thing with this one, Edge and Christian are the cocky um, antagonists. Great tag team specialists. Again, like the Hardy Boys. Mm. But it's going to come down all Ellering and ringside. Yeah. The Road Warriors. Yeah. Uh, now the next match is one I think my favourite match of the the whole uh, tournament so far. We've got. The Steiner brothers, Rick and Scott, taking on the former WWF Tag Team Champions, Andre the Giant and Haku, the Colossal Connection. Again, you and I were talking about this one when we were making the brackets up. Yeah. Put it on paper, Colossal Connection. Yeah. Tag Team Specialists, the Steiner brothers. Mm. They could be anybody. But again, the thing comes in, like you said, um, like we said off air, if Andre's in the ring for most of the match, give it to the Colossal Connection. Yeah. If they can keep Andre out and make it more Haku go Steiners but the other thing is Bobby Heenan at ringside yes exactly that's with, another another um, thing you've got to factor into it and also with the Heenan family get involved yes that's that's another possibility again it's all down to the simulator we don't choose who's going to win these we're plugging it into a simulator and seeing who comes out on top on these matches mm-hmm. uh, next match the Brothers of Destruction The Undertaker and Kane take on former WWF Tag Champions the Iron Sheik and Nikolai Volkov oh brothers it's got to be Brothers of Destruction this is the only one I'm taking as a clear cut they've yeah. got to win if Sheik and Volkov come out and pull it out respect to them <laughs> you'll um, pull your tournament <laughs> yeah exactly it's fixed um, the next one, one of, <laughs> yeah the next one one of my favourite tag teams of all time the Brain Busters uh, Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard taking on Knobs and Sags the Nasty Boys again Money has got to go on uh, Anderson and Blanchard, the, the brain busters. But again, the way the simulator runs this could be intriguing because if they run it um, 91 to 93, Nasty Boys, you've got Jimmy Hart. If you run it brain busters, whatever, you've got Bobby Heenan. 
So, or if you do it, the Brainbusters, Anderson and Blanchard from uh, pre-WWF, you've got the rest of the Horsemen. JJ Dillon, Ric Flair, Ollie Anderson. Exactly, yeah. Can you imagine that. them coming out of the ring, beating up Jimmy Hart? It wouldn't be in a contest. Yeah, exactly. I mean, this is it. It's, it's, can, there can easily be double countouts, double disqualifications. You don't have to shuffle things around here. This is... You might we, getting, we just don't know what's going to happen. This is the, the intangible thing about this tournament, so I'm really looking forward to seeing where they go. <laughs> um, the last uh, last couple of brackets on this side, uh, this is going to be an intriguing I didn't know this one. Yeah. This is going to be an intriguing one. 13-time former World Tag Team Champions, uh, Team 3D, the Dudley Boys, taking on the Warlord and the Barbarian, the Powers of Pain. Yeah, again, this is going to be Tag Team Specialist versus Pure Power again. It's which, going to be good. Which version of the Powers of Pain are, uh, are you going to be doing? Are you doing Fuji uh, Powers of Pain or are you doing the, uh, the, the, it the Gatekeeper? Uh, the Baron. The Baron. Uh, I think it's got to be the Fuji one. Which is the more well-known yeah. incarnation of it. Or the NWA version. True. Yeah. Who knows? Exactly. Um, another one here, the Head Shrinkers. Uh, now it was Fatu and Samu, Samu yeah, uh, taking on the outsiders Scott Hall and Kevin Nash. Again, that's another one I I don't really think the head shrinkers are going to have a hope in hell on this one. chance, um, especially if the simulator takes into account politics. Yeah, it'll be Hall, Hall comes in diamond cutter and that's it. Will it take into consideration the rest of the NWO? Exactly, very much so. Because bear in mind, at the time of the outsiders, you either had it. Um, Hogan being involved, or you had the NWO, or you had the NWO Wolfpack. Yeah. So, three intangibles there to do. Um, you've got to do the next one because your favourite tag team. Uh, second favourite tag team. Second favourite tag team. Uh, we've got, uh, yeah, last two brackets here. We've got Strike Force, which is uh, Rick Martel and Tito Santana against the Hollywood Blondes, Brian Pillman and Steve Austin. Now, again, this is going to be a hell of a match. There's going to be high-flying. There's going to be technical stuff going on. This could be fantastic. And it wouldn't surprise me to see either of those teams go all the way through to the final. Exactly. I mean, the Hollywood Blondes, in my mind, one of the most underrated tag teams of professional wrestling. Yeah. Yes, they were WCW tag champs, but in, in all honesty, they should have made the World Wrestling Federation. Together. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they, they did kind of uh, tease it at one point. Yeah. Um, Right when Pillman came into WWE. Yes. Back um, in 97. 96, 97. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be interesting to see, see what happens on that one. Okay, the final match we've got here is the Fantastics, who, of course, were Tommy Rogers and Bobby Fulton. They are going to be taking on the Eliminators, Saturn Ooh. and Cronus from ECW. Oh, we've got an extreme in the tournament. Exactly. Now, um, of course, we had the Dudleys, the Eliminators. They're the two sort of main tag teams to come out of ECW, of course, apart from the, the Impact players. Mm. But, uh, th- you know, that's another one we didn't put in, the Impact players. Oh, we ran out of time. We did. We, we should really say that at the conclusion of last week's show, we actually sat down and worked out the, ta- the, the tag teams, didn't we? Yeah, we did. And we got, when we got to 60, we gave up. Yeah, I know. It, we, there's just so many tags. We just had to do what we thought was the best. Yeah. So this is the creme de la creme. If some have been omitted, then sorry, maybe they'll make it into the US Championship tournament. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, we could once we've uh, awarded the tag team championship belts to these uh, the, the winning team, you know, they could possibly be challengers. Definitely from uh, wrestling history, people that we've forgotten. So uh, could be interesting to see. But yeah, Fantastics versus the Eliminators again. It's going to be speed versus 
hardcore mm. um, ECW style. So that's it. If, if, if the elim- if the eliminator, if the um, simulator, sorry, mm. um, does do this with a little bit of hardcore style, give it to Saturn and Kronos. Yeah, yeah. But if they do it to a standard standard one on one match, two on two match, yeah, um, fantastic. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So that's the tournament. We're going to be doing the the first round over the next week. We're going to give you the results of the first round matches next week. Mm-hmm. Uh, any comments that you've got on the the matchups that we've got for the first round, please by all means, uh, you know, send us an email studio at lacpodcast.com or of course you can post uh, some your views on the forums lacpodcast.com forward forums. Uh, or you can leave us a voicemail zero two zero eight one double four five seven three six in the UK or TSC Lee one on Skype. Yeah, or you can email us individually at Lee dot at lacpodcast dot com or any dot Evans at lacpodcast dot com. Or there join the go. Facebook group. Yeah, Facebook group we've got going as well. So uh, definitely check that one out if you're on Facebook. If not, why not? Yes. <laughs> now next week uh, we're going to be doing our first pay per view flashback. I guess you could call it. We're going to be looking at the very first WrestleMania. Um, right back in 1985 obviously Hulk Hogan and Mr. T taking on Rowdy Roddy Piper and Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff in the main event there of course with Muhammad Ali as the special guest enforcer and Patterson as the guest referee yeah exactly it's kind of a bit confusing because Muhammad Ali was advertised as being the referee yeah they always do that it's like Mike Tyson was going to be the referee at uh, Wrestlemania until they announced him as the special guest enforcer yeah which kind of got the buy rate in and then it was too late yeah exactly but uh, yeah we're going to be doing that next week and uh, again as we say yeah, any feedback you've got on the show by all means just uh, just let us know and I'd uh, love to hear from you guys uh, it'd be good to have some iTunes reviews as well so get yes. on iTunes and give us some reviews there it'd be cool and if you do want us to try and bring any of your classic wrestling superstars on then again drop us a line on one of the me- methods we've uh, already said then we'll do what we can to get them fantastic okay so yeah, they're a tag team yeah fantastic so, yeah. there you go uh, so until next week I've been Lee Ties and I've been Andy Evans and we'll see you next week 